When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Social Security is one of the most complex and confusing federal programs. With over 2,700 rules, it's no wonder that we're confused about when and how to start collecting and who to turn to for help. Welcome to Social Security Answers from the Experts, hosted by Martha Shedden. In this podcast series, Martha meets with professionals to provide you with the answers to questions about this most important financial decision. And now, here's your host, President and co-founder of the National Association of Registered Social Security Analysts, Martha Shedden. So, hello. I'd like to welcome everyone to the podcast. I'm your host, Martha Shedden, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming Jeffrey Brown to the podcast. Jeff is currently the CEO of the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, NAPFA, where he is responsible for the association's strategic direction, external relations, and ensuring its operational success. He's worked in the association management industry since 2000, received his certificate or certified association executive designation in 2010. And prior to joining NAPFA in 2013, Jeff was an account executive with Center Group, a Chicago-based management consultancy, and Smith Buckland Corporation, the world's largest association management company based in Chicago. Brown received his Bachelor of Arts degree in government and politics from the University of Maryland. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Hi, Martha. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate knowing our guests' stories, um, how they came to be doing what they're doing. Um, so how? tell us a little bit about how you became interested in the management of associations and more specifically a financial association. <laughs> you know, like most, uh, not like most association professionals, um, you know, it, it's all I've ever done. You know, I graduated from college on a, a Tuesday in uh, two, that May of 2000 and started my first association job the following week. Um, you know, it's just one of those things that going through my college career, I really believed in the power of professional communities to influence the world around us. And so okay. it's just been a great learning opportunity for me to have been fortunate enough to work with so many different types of professional communities. So I've worked with uh, groups in the technology space, everything from large data centers to uh -huh. your Maya phone that may have sat on your desk many years ago. Um, to customer marketing groups for HP and Microsoft. And, you know, it was in the summer of 2013, spring of 2013, when uh, an executive search firm contacted me about uh. an opening with NAPFA. Uh, and at first, you know, I really wasn't interested. Um, I had a, a very good job. I was happy. Uh, I was on a good career path with that organization. And, um, you know, I felt like I could be choosy. 
Um, but one thing that I knew was that my next association job was going to be with an organization that had a really strong professional ethos, uh, a really values-based community of professionals. And so, you know, eventually that uh, recruiter was very persistent. <laughs> like, well, just, just meet with some of the members, you know, have a conversation with them. Um, and, you know, at that point, I didn't know fee only from financial uh. planning, from financial advice. So I was a complete and total novice. You know, I was probably an ideal client for somebody, but I was a complete and total novice. You know, that first interaction with a group of members, you know, one of the questions I asked was, why do you do what you do? And just hearing from them uh, about what drives them professionally, you know, what they gain, you know, besides having a job from each of those client interactions um, really inspired me. And, you know, it's interesting when I got home from that first uh, interview, uh, you know, I told my husband, I was like, I think this is where I want to work. And he's like, well, what's different about this association versus all the other ones that are out there? Because there's an association for everything. Yeah, there is. And for me, you know, I explained, well, do you remember when, you know, I won't name the person, but do you remember when that uh, insurance agent, you know, talked talked to us about buying an insurance product and how we would get to financial planning uh, eventually after we bought X, Y, and Z? He's like, yeah, I remember that conversation. He's like, well, these guys would have kept us from doing that. Um, you know, they would have steered us down a completely different path in a very different way uh, and got us to do things that were totally appropriate for us in our late 20s, early 30s. Being, you know, that target client, I was hooked. <laughs> uh, that's really powerful. That's such an interesting story. And um, that's exactly what I was looking for because you see people's backgrounds, what they studied in college, and and then you wonder, you know, just that path that they got to where they are. And yeah, NAPFA is, uh, you already touched on this, is an organization of fee-only financial advisors. And as you know, the ways in which financial professionals charge for services is quite confusing. Um, can you describe, now I know you, you understand, um, the difference between the fee only commission based and then fee based. It's so confusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I really wouldn't expect the average consumer to be able to navigate all of those different models with which they could compensate their advisor. And so, you know, I think we've tried to make it very clear because fee only is fee only. It doesn't get much, uh, much more black and white than that. Right. Um, all of our members are committed to working under a fee for service model. Uh, meaning that their clients are charged either as a percentage of assets under management, uh, hourly fees, or some sort of uh, flat fee retainer subscription-based model that you know is either charged on an annual basis, quarterly, monthly, uh, whatever works well for that client. You know, I, I think that that's pretty black and white. You know, it's yeah. probably the most independent and objective way that a consumer can you know pay the fees that their uh, financial professional is due. Um, you know, there's a few other models out there. You know, there is a commission earning model, uh, meaning that uh, the professional is compensated based on the, the products that they sell or recommend to their clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you mentioned fee-based. For me and a lot of our members, fee-based is probably the biggest sham that's out there <laughs> um, because, you know, it's a little bit of subterfuge on the part of industry. You know, they saw the rise in the Uh, the way that the term fee only was resonating with the public and we're really trying to kind of 
mask what was really happening, if you ask me. So, you know, under that model, which I would really call just kind of a, a commission and fee, <laughs> uh, because the commissions are really driving the day. Uh, it's really, you know, grounded in a product sale. I think it's important for consumers to really understand that. You know, I think if you asked, you line 10 consumers up, you ask them what their financial advice costs, uh, eight of them would probably say my advice is free. <laughs> and, you know, your advice really isn't free. You know, you may be working with an advisor or a professional that's compensated uh, by commissions, and you may not see any of that money, you know, coming out in terms of writing a check on a, you know, monthly, quarterly, annual basis. But I guarantee you that some of the products that you're getting into, that professional is getting something on the back end. Um, And so, you know, I think that there's a lot that, you know, regulators, policymakers could do to really, you know, draw that bright, shining line between what NAPA members do on a fee-for-service basis and what some of the commission-earning professionals are actually engaging in. Yes, I totally agree. I think there's, uh, there's a real misunderstanding. And like you said, if it's commission, uh, if it's commission based, they, they just, it's not always obvious. It might be in the fine print, mm-hmm. but not really well explained. So I, I guess this next question about fee only being better than commissioned advisors was the answer. <laughs> um, we don't so, like to use the term better or worse. Um, you know, it's really about what's going to be in the best interest of the consumer. Right. Uh, if you think about a fee for service relationship, you know, it's a really one on one relationship. You know, me uh-huh. and my advisor, uh, I'm paying that person to work solely on my behalf. Right. Um, when you, you know, bring commissions into the picture, it kind of muddies things a little bit. You know, you go back to almost 40 years now. Um, that's really what drove the foundation and the formation of this association was a, a group of advisors really understanding that, you know, as long as commissions were part of the relationship, could they really be solely focused on their clients? Um, right. So not much has changed 40 years later, meaning, that, you know, that commission still exists. And sure, they may be appropriate for some advisors and some consumers, but, um, you know, it still muddies the relationship. It does. That's well, well said. And that brings us to the fiduciary oath that your members take and your code of ethics. Can you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, on an annual basis, uh, NAPFA members are asked to recommit to a fiduciary oath, um, which really spells out, you know, how they're going to act in terms of their relationships with their clients. You know, they're required to always act in good faith and with candor. Uh, They're supposed to be proactive in disclosing any conflicts of interest that may impact the client. And they can't accept any referral fees or compensation that's contingent upon the purchase or sale of a financial product. So it really does encompass uh, the ethos of what the fee-only model is meant to be. Uh, from our code of ethics standpoint, you know, we ask advisors to commit to objectivity, um, meaning that they strive to be as unbiased as possible in providing advice to their clients. Uh, confidentiality, meaning that they're going to keep all client data private unless authorized by the client to, to share it competence, you know, this is one of our strategic imperatives, meaning that we want to have a community of financial planning professionals that have the highest level of knowledge and ability in the field. And so, you know, we're always looking for ways uh, to elevate planner competency. And that was one of the, the high drivers for me in terms of our relationship with our with your organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, just an opportunity to bring new and different content to the table that's going to help them. Uh, to be the best professionals that they can be. 
And then, you know, some of the other ones that I think are important, you know, full disclosure, uh, their professionalism, meaning that NAPA members should conduct themselves in a way that would be a credit to this association at all times. Um, and then, you know, fairness and suitability, you know, dealings and recommendations with their clients will always be in the client's best interest. And, you know, that's just been a driver of this organization for almost 40 years. Yeah. How large is the organization now? Uh, we're just under 4,300 professionals. Um, and, that's- you know, it's really interesting. I was having a conversation uh, with a reporter yesterday and, you know, we were just talking about the growth of the fee-only uh, channel, if you will. And, you know, she asked if there was any hard data. And I was like, well, you know, I could probably draw a conclusion by the fact that this organization, you know, over the last year, la- last eight years uh, since I started has grown by almost 90%. Uh, wow. So we're just a sliver um, of yeah. you know, the broader planning community. But if this is any indicator of what's happening for the unaffiliated feeling professionals, this is the way for the future. I'm so Pleased to hear that. Um, what types of licenses or certifications do NAPFA members have? Are most of them CFPs? Yeah. So since 2012, um, we've required that all members that want to achieve the NAPFA Registered Financial Advisor membership category be certified financial planner professionals. Um, so I would say upwards of 97% of our members are CFP professionals. Okay. Um, you have several members that you know have advanced degrees in financial services, finance, things of that nature. Um, we also have a number of CPAs, CPA PFSs, um, and then you know within some of our larger enterprise level firms, you know we also have members that are uh, CFAs, uh, CIMAs. Uh, CPWAs, but you know the overwhelming designation within the association uh, is the CFP. Okay, good. As CEO, you're responsible for NAPFA's strategic direction and external relations um, to ensure their operational success. What are you looking for in those other relationships that you're um, setting up with your association? You know, we're really looking to engage with organizations that complement and complement what we're doing and align with where we're heading strategically. So, you know, our, our most natural partners are, you know, the CFP Board of Standards uh, and the Financial Planning Association, you know, because we are the, the three main organizations focused solely on financial planning uh, as a profession. Um, you know, there are a number of things where our three organizations are aligned, uh, most notably in our public policy objectives. Uh, so a little over 10 years ago, we all came together and formed the Financial Planning Coalition to advance our shared uh, regulatory and public policy objectives, both on the behalf of the profession, but then also on behalf of, of consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not naive to the fact that, you know, we only have 4,300 professionals that are part of this association. Um, that means that we have to be very strategic and opportunistic about who we work with and why. And public policy is probably one of the biggest areas when you think about the fact that most legislators will say, you know what, I've got 40, more than 4,300 registered voters in my district. Um, so it just helps amplify our voice when we can go in and say, you know what, collectively we represent, you know, close to, if not more than 100,000 unique Um, planning professionals in that regard. Um, You know, some of the other organizations that we work with, um, you know, are ones on the consumer side. So organizations like 
uh, the Consumer Federation of America, AARP, you know, those organizations are important to us because, you know, they represent the people that our members hope to serve. And so it's very interesting and powerful for us to say, you know what, as an industry organization, we're aligned with consumer groups on issues like fiduciary, uh, elder protection, uh, retirement security, general financial security. Um, you know, I think that in some regards that sets us apart, if you will, uh-huh. uh, from some of the other uh, groups that are out there. Um, and then, you know, from time to time, uh, you know, we like to align ourselves with organizations like yours. Uh, just because, <laughs> you know, from a content perspective, you know, we have to be able to cover a lot of bases. And, you know, we're very cognizant of, you know, where we're generalists um, and where we need to pull in a specialist organization to help uh-huh. amplify what it is that we're trying to convey to our audience. Great. How did the individual financial professionals benefit from being part of NAPFA? Is there, are there certain things that are required, any particular requirements? Sure, sure. You know, I, I think the benefits that, you know, an individual financial planner might receive from being a part of this organization is, is just that community. You know, when you think about the fact that there aren't, you know, a thousand, you know, there aren't thousands of fee-only planners out there that, you know, we've made a profession, you know, when you think about the fact there's what, 92, 93,000 CFP professionals out there, um, you know, we've shrunk that down a little bit by saying, hey, here is a community that's focused solely on fee-only financial planning professionals, and all of them have some shared experience that you can benefit from. So there's that opportunity for intergenerational knowledge transfer that I think is really important and a a high driver of the member experience. There's also the opportunity for us to help highlight them uh, from a business perspective. You know, we maintain a find an advisor search platform on our website that, you know, I've been told by a number of professionals that it was integral to their business success when they started uh, and in an ongoing fashion. You know, meaning that it just highlights their visibility to the audiences that they hope to serve. Um, so that's another good one. And just, you know, driving the dialogue within uh, the planning profession. You know, the, the men and women that started this organization, you know, started a conversation about how you could service your clients in a different manner than what had been done in the past. Um, and we still feel that we have an important responsibility to be a catalyst to continue driving that change uh, within the profession. So to the extent that we can, you know, educate, you know, current professionals that may be thinking about doing things a little bit differently, um, but then also members of the public, both from a, a media and a consumer standpoint of, you know, why is taking a look at a fee-only professional uh, an important part of the journey of engaging with a financial advisor or financial planner? Right. So is retirement planning a large part of your advisor's work with clients? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. And why you, and I, why you laugh? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I was actually having a conversation with our, our content team this morning and, you know, we were you know, just talking about, okay, what are the things that we do from a content perspective that, you know, always deliver something? And you know, it's like, anytime you assign that tag of retirement planning, it just gets a lot of eyeballs. <laughs> 
<laughs> so okay. uh, that's why when you, when you asked that question, I was like, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> is that because of the boomer generation, you think? Is it partly just the mass amount of people that are retiring now? or um, I think it's the, the mass amount of people retiring. Um, but then, you know, regardless of age, you know, thinking about where you want to end up is such yeah. an important part of the financial planning process. Right. You know, right. I'm 44. And, you know, one of the first questions that our planner asked my spouse and I was, well, how do you envision, you know, your life after you stop working. I'm like, wait a minute, I've probably got, you know, 20 some years before that. Oh yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to look at it. (laughs) But you know, it was just interesting that that was the lead off question, you know, or one of the lead off questions. And so I take that as just another indicator of the importance of retirement planning in any holistic financial planning process. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, when we all start working, that's our goal is to plan <laughs> for that. And um, I'm just such a big proponent of the younger generation becoming more financially literate and, and doing that sooner rather than later. So it is kind of funny to separate out retirement planning because it really is all retirement planning, although you're helping them grow and save and invest. And then the actual retirement financial plan is a different, Mm -hmm. the withdrawal strategies and all of that, that is a very different process, I would imagine. Of course, Uh, of course. And that's, you know, for me, one of the areas where you can't do that on your own. You know, that's where you need to really with a professional, a specialist, if you will, to help you navigate what that really looks like. Yeah, yeah. Um, Do you feel that, most of the advisors are sufficiently educated and up to date when it helps uh, comes to helping their clients with social security. You know, I think that most advisors know enough to be dangerous. They know <laughs> enough to know what they don't know. Um, and so I think that that's why they look to organizations like us, like ours, uh-huh. um, to help, you know, keep them abreast of what is an ever evolving landscape. You know, you've been doing this for a number of years. I'm sure there have been some things that have had a constant through line. um, But then there are other things that, you know what, this is a year to year game of what's going to change today versus yesterday. Um, And so I I think that's how a lot of advisors really approach it. So, you know, from a content perspective, you know, we always plan to do one, if not two, maybe more uh, social security updates on an annual basis, just so that we can help advisors to, to stay current. And that doesn't even really solve for the, the special use cases that pop up that you know what? they're not really covered in any of the, the text or any of the, the latest research. And so, you know, again, it's just about providing opportunities for them to identify, you know, the best of the best in terms of helping them to navigate the, the evolving social security landscape. Right. So outside of, of being part of NAPFA, what makes for a good financial advisor? What have you found and what should people look for when picking someone to help them plan for retirement? Wow. <laughs> what makes for a good financial advisor? Luckily, I've had an opportunity to connect with a lot of them over the last eight years. Yeah. Um, and you do the things that I think are, are very consistent. Um, you know, I think this has become less about the numbers and more about the relationships. You know, I think that advisors today will tell you that 
you know, the soft skills are just as important as the technical skills. So uh, an advisor who understands that and really is committed to helping you um, understand your own relationship with money uh, and understand how, help you understand what the roadmap could look like for you to achieve your financial objectives. Um, you know, some other things that I think are important in a good financial uh, professional, one who's committed to lifelong learning. You're not just going to, you know, get your educational degree or get a designation and then just, uh, you know, sit behind a desk and, you know, just keep moving because that's just not how this world works. Um, there's a reason that, you know, pretty much every organization, every designation, um, every license has a continuing education requirement attached to it. So, you know, if you find a professional, you should probably ask them about, you know, what's their educational experience, what's their professional experience, what designations they have, um, because I think that's a really good indicator of how they've oriented themselves and made a commitment to making sure that they maintain, but then also elevate their own competency uh, as a professional. Right. Um, you know, and then I think, you know, I, I feel like I do this a lot with my friends. They always ask, can you recommend someone? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I can recommend someone who would work for me, but I can't recommend someone that would work for you. But if you tell me what's important or what you're looking for, I can, you know, at least connect you with some options and they may be right or they may be wrong. And you may select one of those individuals. Um, but it may just give you a little bit more uh, data as to what you're really looking for. And so, you know, I, I think that it's a really important for any consumer that's looking to engage with a financial planning professional to understand, you know, what's really driving them. Because, you know, advisors have different niches that they practice in, different types of consumers that they're looking for. Um, you know, a few years ago, I met a planner. I was like, oh, my God, you would be so great. I think you would click with my parents in a really meaningful way. Um, and she's like, I don't work with retirees. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. OK. She's like, I take on clients in a, when they're pre-retirement and I'll keep working with them after they retire. But I don't work with someone who, you know, I won't take on a client who's already retired. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then so I started doing a little bit more research. And, you know, it, it's not uncommon. Really? And so that's yeah. been one of the things that I, I think has been really interesting over the last few years. And I think it's even, you know, becoming a little bit more prevalent, just advisors that are focused on particular niches. Of yeah. Um, so I have a couple of friends who recently asked me for recommendations <laughs> and luckily, you know, they were like, okay, I'm a nonprofit professional. My spouse is an attorney who is a shareholder in his firm. So we need someone who, you know, and they happen to be uh, a gay couple with a child. So they were really looking for someone that could check as many of those boxes right. uh, as possible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you mentioned that uh, Napa has a data, you know, they have, you can go search on there, but how, how do consumers interview or, or find the right person? Is that becoming more um, commonplace that you like set up an interview with an advisor? Yeah. yeah. yeah you know, and I think it's probably a two-way interview, um, yeah. on this stage, meaning that, you know, it's not just the, uh, potential client that's interviewing potential advisors. It's, you know, both ways. Yeah. Um, so within our search platform, you know, it's primarily geography based, which is becoming uh -huh. less and less relevant, um, as the pandemic showed us that, you know what, you can work with an advisor that doesn't have to be in your town. Um, and in fact, I think 
there's a lot of people over the last two years that have started planning and advisory engagements and relationships that may never share the same physical space. Right. Um, Which I think is a wonderful repercussion of the pandemic. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It means that, you know, more people will have access uh, to financial planning, which is always something that we look for uh, as an organization. Um, but it also means that we need to you know, kind of change how we do business if you know, yeah. you're running an advisory firm. Um, but on our site, you know, you can search for an advisor. Um, but then, you know, if you live in, say, Chicago or New York, you can think about the number of results that you're going to get back. <laughs> so, you know, you need to be able to, to filter it a little bit. Okay, well, I want to work with someone who specializes in or has competency in working with medical professionals or someone um, that focuses on, you know, financial planning needs of uh, female consumers or something like that. So we just have a lot of options for them to be able to kind of cut through the just vastness of results that they'll, they'll get back. Um, but they should rest assured that everyone they're going to find on our platform, you know, we vetted. They're verified to be the only financial planning professionals. They are committed to our fiduciary oath and our code of ethics. Uh, they have their CFP certification and they maintain that on an ongoing basis. Um, and so, you know, we've done a little bit of that legwork for them. And so, you know, those are some of the things that they can take off the table. Right. But they should still, you know, ask some tough questions. <laughs> yeah. You know, really get to know who you're potentially going to be working with um, for the foreseeable future. Because when you think about it, you know, this could be one of the longest term relationships you engage in other than your marriage, potentially, <laughs> you know, doctors come and go, lawyers come and go, but how often do you change financial advisors? <laughs> yes. And the topic, the finance, just finances, that's a very personal, mm-hmm. you just don't want to, there's a certain kind of person you'll share that with and really- yeah open up. And I, I completely support that holistic type of planning. I think those advisors are really hit the nail on the head when they. It's really interesting. And I, I think that just the, the depth and breadth of services that holistic financial planners offer and provide to their clients is only going to continue to evolve. Uh-huh. The days of you know showing up and saying, here's my portfolio, invest it. <laughs> Are you know it's going to always be a part of it potentially, but I, I think that there are other things that are going to be a part of the conversation. You know, like planning for retirement for sure. Um, you know, we recently talked with our planner about you know how do we refinancing our mortgage. Um, you know, contemplating job changes. You know, that that these are topics that I just never uh, expected to have a conversation with my advisor about. You know, we were talking about, you know, parents, Um, both my spouse and I have um, parents that are, you know, aging like everybody else's parents. But, you know, how do we factor them into our financial plan? Because it will probably need to be a part of the conversation. So it's just very interesting. Yeah, it is. So what opportunities are your advisors looking for to improve or grow their businesses? I'm wondering how the association helps with that. Do you provide um, different webinars, programs, conferences. What does NAPFA do for its members? Sure, sure. So we have um, a full slate of in-person events coming back, fingers crossed. Oh, good. <laughs> um, you know, we pre-pandemic, we did two in-person conferences each year, you know, with a variety of educational sessions for them to, 
you know, learn about not only the things that have been, you know, historically tried and true topics, but the things that we feel like are on the horizon, if you will, meaning that we try to advance content that is going to drive a dialogue that may not already be occurring within the field. So that's just something that they can expect. Um, We do a full complement of virtual learning. You know, I think most members can expect, you know, four to eight uh, virtual learning sessions from the association on a monthly basis, depending on where we are at the time of the year. Um, And, you know, and those will touch on a variety of topics. You know, some of them will just be purely technical in, in nature, meaning focused on topics like social security or, you know, new developments in, say, the SEC's regulatory agenda, so yeah. a program coming up next week. I was learn next week about that. So that's, you know, if I were an advisor on an annual basis, I would love to know what one of my regulators could be thinking about yeah. and what's important for them. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, we also do programs to help them, um, you know, be better business owners, if you will, because when you think about it, all of our members are, you know, most of our members are small to medium-sized business owners. And, you know, you have to kind of have that in the back of your mind. You know, not only do you need to be a competent and uh, ethical financial planner, but you need to be a good business owner. Yeah. Um, and so you know, we do a lot of work around, you know, marketing, communications, uh, lead generation, client experience, things like that, that really do help um, enhance what they bring to the table from, you know, a technical competency standpoint. Um, and then, you know, I think the, the things that people would probably gloss over is just um, that community building aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, you ask members what's most important and impactful for them. Um, it's, you know, the relationships that they've formed with, with other planners. So to the extent that we can connect, you know, someone who is a seasoned planner with someone who may be new to the field or someone that, excels in a certain, you know, area of financial planning with someone who just wants to learn more about it. You know, those are the things that I feel like are driving the the success and the value that we can add to a planner's professional experience. And that's so true with any profession, but especially those who are working basically on their own, Mm -hmm. in their own bubble, with their own business. And how do they, there's such value from sharing with other professionals. Um, Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and we're still, even though we've seen a lot of growth in the number of multi-advisor firms of all sizes, um, we're still an organization that's 45, almost 50% uh, solo practitioner. Um, Uh So, you know, they don't get to turn around and, you know, talk to the person sitting. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, I I think that's a huge value. And so how long has NAPA been around? I'm, I'm forgetting what you said. Uh, 1983. So we'll be celebrating our 40th anniversary uh, next year. And so it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, being the age we are, it's so weird to talk about an association and age, but being the age we are, you know, it, it means that there are still people that were there at the beginning that are participating in the association. You know, most of them are talking about, you know, retirement at this point. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you don't really get that in every uh, association experience, both, you know, for me as a professional, it's great to say, you know, hey, you know, Gary, what was it like when you were sitting in that hotel conference room outside of Atlanta and you all were dreaming about what this could become? Um, did you think it was going to be this? And, you know, just getting a response and not having to, to yeah. guess. 
you know, what was on the mind of the minds of the founders of the organization. But, you know, then it's also, if you're a student in one of the undergraduate financial planning programs that now exists, the opportunity to sit down across from someone who, for all intents and purposes, was a pioneer uh, of this model, you know, that's got to be exciting for them. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised the membership isn't larger, just personally, when, because I know you're growing it, Jeff. <laughs> I'm just surprised that there's more. No. I would guess that we probably have, uh, you know, we've got pretty good market share, but there's always going to be room for growth. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's both a testament to the standards of this organization that we're not bigger. Um, meaning that, you know, you do have to jump through some hoops, yeah. rightly so, um, to be a part of this community. That's um, true. I think that that's important. Um, it was a part of the design. Um, but if you ask some of those individuals that were there at the beginning, did they have an inkling that, you know, there would be 40, 400 people that would want to do this? And they're like, no, we thought we'd be a few hundred. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that would be it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. You're right. The requirements and the um, expectations are high, which is what's wonderful about the organization. Um, Your background and work seems so well suited. This is this personal observation for a stepping stone into into politics. Do you have any plans to go in that direction? (laughs) Well, you know, I grew up in the D.C. area and I I majored in government politics. Yeah. Always thought, you know, my next step after undergrad would be straight to law school. And then I never wanted to practice law, but I always thought that I would, you know, work in government public policy in some way, shape or form. And, you know, I I never went down that path and I have no designs to run for office. But, you know, one of the things that I enjoy about my work is the fact that, you know, we work in a highly regulated profession, uh, meaning that you know, so much of what our members do, I don't want to say dictated, but, you know, the guardrails are set up by uh, policymakers. And so that means a lot of what we do is engaging with those individuals um, to help them understand the professional circumstance, the long-term objectives of members of this association. So I get to leverage some of the skills that you know, I picked up uh, 20 plus years ago uh, in College Park to, to bear on my life professionally. And, you know, every association has, uh, you know, some public policy uh, work stream that they, they engage in. And, you know, NAPTA is no different. Yeah. Well, this has been wonderful. Is there anything else you'd like to add that I haven't asked you? Or um, you know, I, I think it's just, you know, for the professional out there that, that's looking for a home and they're interested in the fee-only channel, um, NAPTA is a great place for them to, to get a start. Um, you know, I've been consistently reminded of the fact that, you know, our members sometimes in the same towns, the same states, they never view themselves as competing against one another. Um, they're always talking about how can I help so-and-so develop into a better planner. And so that collegiality is really a foundation of this community. And it's a really welcoming environment for any professional that wants to learn and grow. Uh, for the consumers out there that may be listening, um, you know, do your homework. Um, everybody should engage with a financial advisory or planning professional to help them navigate what is kind of a mysterious world. Um, but make sure you engage with one that's going to help you to get where you need to be in the manner that is most uh, objective. Great. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. 
is there um, a certain, what's the website address or how they can reach you or what would you like to share? Yeah, no, they can find us at uh, www.napfa.org, N-A-P-F-A.org. And, you know, that's the best place to get a start, whether you're a professional or a consumer. Um, we've got a lot of good information and resources for you on our site. Okay. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Um, thank you for listening to our podcast. Please turn in every Wednesday for new episodes. Our expert guests are here to share a wide variety of knowledge about all things retirement related. See you next week.